like I said earlier, we are just so excited that you're here at our 10 o'clock service. We are three weeks in at our church. We're three weeks into having three worship services, all right, which is why you may notice a few empty seats around you because people are kind of figuring out what service, what service they're going to fall into, but just really excited about the fall and what's happening. Um, I don't have time to get all into it, but we've had 24 people give their life to Christ in the last three weeks. That's pretty good news right there. It's pretty good news. And uh, we've had over a hundred, we've had 110 visitors show up to our church in the last five weeks. So just really incredible stuff. And it's not about us and it's not about us trying to build some name for ourselves or anything like that. Um, but it's just about what we believe God's wanting to do in this place and the lives of the people that you care about in this community. And so really excited to be three weeks into this three service format. And just a great opportunity for you to bring somebody that you care about. Maybe you did that. Maybe you're here today as a guest and somebody, you know, brought you. And man, we're just so excited and so glad that you decided to join us today. We are in week three of a series called I'm a Big Hypocrite. I'm a Big Hypocrite. And I've really enjoyed teaching this content. You know, and you hear me say this sometimes, but there are some sermons that you work on and, and that you put together and, and you just hope that the people like it as much on Saturday and Sunday as you did on Wednesday and Thursday, okay? Because you're sitting in your office kind of prepping and reading and thinking, and you're like, and God's just kind of preaching to you, you know, and, and God's kind of ministering to you. And that's what's been happening with us, our team, and, and just, just, just God really speaking to us. And what we've said really in these last few weeks, what we've said is that we're all broken. We're all hypocrites. We're, we're all messed up, screwed up, if you will. We're all like, we've all got issues. And if you don't think you have issues, that's your issue, okay? So like, we're all broken and we're all hypocritical. And we all care too much what people think about us. And we all work too hard to try to gain people's approval. And we all work really hard to try to hide the faults and the cracks and the chinks in the armor. But if we could just own that. That, that maybe our, our influence to the people around us and maybe what God can do in our lives would be incredibly magnified if we could just own who we really are and just say, hey, this is the real me. This is who I am. And so really excited to be moving into uh, to week three of this. And we're going to kind of flip it today. We're going to kind of hit it from uh, a, a different angle uh, today. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation where you have been like so sure that you're right? Like 100% sure that you were right, and you stood strong in that, only to find out you were not right. Anybody ever been there? Okay, I, I have definitely been there. Uh, Cecil likes to say about me that uh, I believe I'm 100% right until I learn that I'm not. That's kind of my philosophy in life, right? And, uh, but I've also found this, I've also found myself in this kind of scenario with people. And maybe you know this too and have experienced this. Where you are so sure that you know who someone is, you're so sure that you uh, are, you know, you're so certain about what you believe to be true about someone or some facts or some opinions that you have about someone. Maybe you think really poorly of them and then all of a sudden you have an experience with them that's incredible and you're like, oh, they're, okay, they're not who I thought they were. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they're like awesome in your eyes and then they let you down big time, and you're like, oh, well, they're not who, who I thought they, they were. I think all of us deal with that. All of us, we're, very, we're all guilty of making quick, 
snap judgments about people based on small amounts of information. So we make huge judgment calls on people based on little pieces of information and are certain that we're right, right? Certain that we're right. I mean, how often, how often do we preface what we think about somebody with saying, you know, I may not be right, but I think he's a jerk. I may not be right, but I think he's an idiot, right? Now we go, he's a jerk. He's an idiot. Based on small little pieces of information. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. Uh, we have a really young staff at the church. Talked about it to our staff. Like they were like four when this happened. So they have no idea what I'm talking about. But how many of you guys remember back in 1996, the uh, Olympic bombing in Atlanta? How many of you guys remember that? Yeah, okay. I'm just barely old enough to, to kind of remember that. And I was living in Atlanta, so that was obviously a, a huge deal. But if you remember the Olympic bombing story in Atlanta, the staff was like, we've had the Olympics in the USA? Like, they're not even, they're not even following me. But if you remember, uh, if you remember the uh, Atlanta bombing, you, you, you may remember some of the details of the story about a guy named Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell. Now, Richard Jewell was a security guard uh, at the Olympics. An Olympic Park, if you've ever been to Atlanta Olympic Park, they built this kind of town square almost for the Olympics. And so Richard Jewell is working as a security guard for the Olympics, he walks by a bench, he sees a green duffel bag that belongs to no one, nobody's around, he looks in the bag and sees a bomb. Right, okay, he's not MacGyver, so he doesn't try to defuse it, he calls the authorities, they start evacuating people, and 12 minutes later, the bomb goes off. Somebody dies, hundreds of people get injured, but initially, after the report came out, Richard Jewell was a hero because he was the guy who, who, who saved lives, who discovered the bomb, and he was a hero. And, and he was on the news, and like everybody loved Richard Jewell. About a week later, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution comes out with a headline that says, Bomb Hero, Main Suspect. And the FBI had leaked information to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that said, we think Richard Jewell is our main suspect. So the Atlanta Journal-Constitution releases the article in the paper, and in a matter of about two hours after that paper got released, Richard Jewell went from being the hero to the main suspect in the Atlanta Olympic bombing, right? And the police, the FBI searched his house two different times, He's getting ridiculed. Uh, I mean, every, like, everything that could go wrong in his life was going wrong. And everyone in the country was certain that he was guilty. It was, they were certain that he, that he was guilty. They even had a motive. They said that he was a, a no-name security guard cop and, and was bored with being a nobody. So he planted this bomb and discovered it himself so that he could be a hero. And they gave him a motive. And they gave, they, they gave all of this out to the public, and the public was sure that Richard was guilty. For several weeks, actually, they were sure that he was guilty, until they actually found the guy who was responsible for the bombing, and the FBI had to backtrack, and long story, Richard ended up dying at the age of 44, still trying to clear his name, even though the FBI cleared him, even though the attorney general wrote him a letter in an unprecedented way saying that this, his name has cleared, everybody still associated Richard Jewell with the bombing in Atlanta, and he was no longer the hero. He was the guilty party. No matter what he did, he could not convince people otherwise. 
And I think that that is a great example of what happens in our culture and in our society and what we do on a large scale through media and things like that, but also what we do on a very small scale with the people that are in our lives. Like it's not on the news and it's not on, on you know, on, on, in, a, in a newspaper, but we see things, hear things, read sentences, look at pictures, hear secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand accounts. I can't tell you how many things somebody's come to me and said, I heard that you did this and I can't believe you do that. And I'm like, are you, I, that's the most ridiculous thing ever, right? But we hear things. And we're never, in our minds, we're never conditioned to think, you know what, I'm not going to believe that's true until I verify it. We don't ever think that, do we? I mean, I, you could say, man, I heard Jason, you know, uh, embezzled, you know, $40 million and ran off to China. And you, and you think, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true about Jason. You go, oh my gosh, I can't believe he embezzled $40 million and ran off to China. Like, you just immediately, we assume the worst about people, right? We don't ever assume the best. We don't ever wait to try to verify. We assume the worst about people. And that's what I want to talk about today. What if people aren't who we think they are? What if, what if people are not as bad? What if we've been judging people, judging people all wrong? I think one of the most hypocritical things that you and I do, or maybe the most hypocritical thing about us, is the way that we judge people. And this is going to maybe even sit wrong with some people in the room this morning because it's so ingrained in us and so down deep in us the way that we make judgment calls about people. But we've already said for two weeks about this series that we are hypocrites, that we are broken, that we fall, that we mess up, that we can't get it together all the time. Paul said it best in Romans 7, chapter 15. He said, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I, everybody say I, act another, doing things I, everybody say I, absolutely despise. So Paul says, okay, so I make up my mind, this is what I'm going to do, and this is who I'm going to be. And then I start doing things that I didn't decide to do, and that I swore I wouldn't do. And I do things that I absolutely despise. And we all would agree with that statement. Every one of us in here would say, you know what? I can tell you story after story after story where I failed. I can tell you story after story where I dropped the ball. I can tell you story after story where I did something that I shouldn't have done. We could tell example after example after example. But what is curious and crazy is how much grace we give ourselves and how much slack we cut ourselves while at the same time giving none of that to the people around us that we're judging at the same time. So we fail, but we had a reason, and you don't know the whole story, and there was a, and you got to understand, they fail and they're a failure. Why don't you turn to the person you're sitting beside and say, when you fail, go ahead and tell them, say, when you fail, come on, say it, say, when you fail, you're a failure. When I fail, I'm a work in progress. Isn't that so true? That when other people fail, they're failures. When we fail, there's a reason, there's a really good explanation why you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta understand, right? And what I'm begging the Holy Spirit to do today for us is to help us embrace this truth. That people are not the things that they do. 
to people, not the things that they do. Maybe another way to say it would is people are not the sum of their mistakes. And all of us in this room, maybe we have been labeled, but all of us in the room, we label and we judge people based on things that they do, make judgment calls about people, and never, listen, and never judge them the way that we judge ourselves. Never critique them the way that we critique ourselves. Why is it so hard for us to spot our own sin, but so easy for us to spot other people's sin? Why is it that we can walk into a store, parents, and like immediately re- you know, recognize the ten terrible parents in the store in the first three minutes and not realize that our kids have knocked over everything they've walked by? Because our kids didn't get a nap. You have to understand, it was just that they didn't get a nap. They're terrible parents, right? Isn't that how we do it? Why is it so easy to recognize the faults, the mistakes, and the sins and the failures of other people and not see it in ourselves? Well, there's a story in the Bible that shows this so vividly and so clearly um, in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 and 2 Samuel tell a lot about the story of King David. And King David was an incredible king, the greatest king to ever live for the nation of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, did incredible things. But there was a season in David's life, there was a season in David's life where he didn't do it right. He got off track. He made some terrible decisions. And, and, and the way the story goes is that David, instead of being out in battle, he's up one night kind of just being lazy and he sees a beautiful woman and he decides to sleep with her even though she's married to someone else and then she gets pregnant and so in an attempt to try to cover up the pregnancy he uh, kills her husband or or tries to get her husband to sleep with her so he can kind of cover it up when that doesn't work he decides to kill her husband so in a matter of about four weeks David is a an adultering murderer who got a woman who was not his wife pregnant that's a that's a bad four weeks right there okay that's a that's a rough four weeks and so God who loves David sends the prophet Nathan to talk to David to confront David to kind of to 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 to, he wants God wants David to know that God knows what's been what's been going on right and so in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 12 this is what it says so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story so this is a fictional story like a parable says there were two men in a certain town one was rich and one was poor the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup he cuddled it in his arms like a, like a baby daughter One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. So did everybody understand the fictional story right there? There's a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has all that he would need, but when he decides to make dinner for a guest, he goes and takes the only lamb that the poor man has that the poor man cared about so incredibly deeply for, right? That's the story that just happened. And look at verse 5. David was furious. And some of you are like, well, of course he was furious. I mean, he, you know, they, they just told a story that really indicted him. No, no, he wasn't mad because he felt like they were talking about him. David was furious 
He said, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Which this is just a valuable life lesson and be careful how, what kind of penalties you lay out for people who make mistakes. Because you may have to abide by those penalties at some point, right? So David is furious. I can't believe that a rich man would steal the one lamb of a poor man. He's got to repay him back. He's got no pity. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You did that. I'm talking about you, David. Now, I want you to get this story, okay? David is sitting at a, in a chair four weeks after committing adultery, getting a woman pregnant, and murdering her husband. A man shows up and tells a story about a rich man who stole another dude's baby sheep. And David is enraged that somebody would have the audacity to do such a deed. You catching what's happening here? And all of us read this story and go, David, like, how could you not see it? How could you not know? Like, isn't that a little bit hypocritical, David? Like, look at what you've done. But what David does is what all of us do. David goes, I can't believe they would do that. Did you see what they did? I can't believe they would do that. What a despicable person they are. That's ridiculous. They should never get a chance, and this should be the punishment, and they should do that, and they should do that, and I can't believe, and they're a failure. And, and it never, we never stop for a second and think, what about us? What about us? What do we deserve? What, 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 do, what do we deserve? What do the people who aren't us think about the things that we've done? See, David did what we do. He assumed the worst about someone's actions without realizing that he was guilty too. David assumed the worst about someone else's actions without realizing that he was guilty too. How do we do that? We all do it. We all do it. Jesus actually found himself in a very similar situation um, where Jesus was with a group of people who were acting and thinking like David was in the story that we just read. It's actually in John chapter 8. We've used this story a lot around here. I believe it's a really, uh, a really relevant story to the culture and the society that we live in because I feel like the culture and the society we live in is this angry furious mob polarizing Fox News, MSNBC news like culture that we live in, right? And so I love this story because in John chapter 8, this angry mob or this, this group of people finds and identifies a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's labeled by what she did, the adulterous woman, if you have an NIV Bible, and bring the adulterous woman to Jesus. And so the scene set up is that you've got an adulterous woman down on the ground, Jesus, and an angry mob, and the mob says to Jesus, she's guilty, which she was, and she deserves to be killed, which according to the law, she did. And Jesus steps in front of the crowd, because Jesus always defended sinners publicly, always. Always had the back of the sinner, always attacked the religious and he steps in front of her, 
And he's facing and looking at a group of people who can only think about how someone else should be punished for their sin. And it never crossed their mind that they're guilty of sin as well. So look at what happens in John chapter 8, verse 7. It says, they kept demanding an answer. They're saying, come on, Jesus, can we stone her? Come on, Jesus, can we stone her? So he stood up again and he said, all right. They've got these rocks in their hand. They're ready to stone her. They're ready to kill her. And Jesus says, okay, okay. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. In verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. And I love that because I think the wisdom in the age of the old said, okay, I'm pretty guilty, right? Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. They gave you a bag earlier in service. Why don't you go ahead and pull that out? In that bag, there's a rock. Why don't you go ahead and take the rock out? Jesus is with an angry mob, and the Bible doesn't say this, but we know they want to kill her and stone her because they did say that. And so I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but I'm kind of thinking that the angry mob shows up to Jesus with rocks in their hand, just waiting on permission to kill her, to stone her, right? And so they show up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, give us permission. She's guilty, and she was. She deserves to die, and according to the law, she did. But why do we get so excited? Like, what is it about us that gets so excited about finding out that somebody failed? And we say we hate it. 72% of the people, when they were polled, said that they hate a political scandal. But when there's a political scandal, newspaper sales skyrocket. They say they don't like the fact that the media covers things 24 hours a day, but when there's a scandal, 24-hour news coverage ratings go through the roof. When you find out that your friend who you went to high school with had an affair, it doesn't break your heart. It makes you excited. Not because you're glad she did, but there's something inside of us that's like, ooh, news, gossip, right? There's something inside of us. And it's almost like we all have this rock in our hands And we're just waiting on the opportunity to pounce. It's crazy to me that all of us have a list of sins in our head that are unacceptable and none of our sins are on it. Right? Isn't that crazy how we do that? Like all of us have this imaginary list of sins and everybody else's sins are on it, but somehow ours aren't because we've figured out a way to rationalize that while our sins are serious, they're not as big a deal and we're working on them and me and God have talked about it. But not everyone else. We see everyone else's sins, everyone else's mistakes, and we say, they're guilty. They're wrong. If they happen to claim to be a Christian or they happen to go to church, we say, they're fake. They're phony. I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe they would do that. They're such a hypocrite. I had somebody say to me just recently, I can't go to your church because you're such a hypocrite. Talking to me. You're such a hypocrite. Because I saw the way you acted over there. And I take offense to that because they don't know who I am. 
Yeah, they may have saw me in a moment where maybe I didn't do right or I didn't act right, but they don't know who I am. And all of us make snap judgments about people based on little pieces of information. And we're dying to get permission and write them off, judge them, label them, and just get rid of them. And that's where Jesus is at. And here's the deal. There is a judge. And people who are guilty will be judged. But it's not you. You're not the judge. And so Jesus is here looking at a bunch of people who want to be the judge. I want you to get this. They're, they're, they're the judge. They have found her guilty. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to analyze you for a second. I want you to think about you for a second. And here's, what, here's the deal I'll make with you. After you analyze you, and you think about you, if you don't think you're guilty of anything, then you get to throw the stone. And the Bible says that one by one they walked away. Because it is impossible for us to think about us and still judge people harshly. It's impossible for us to think about our guilt and our failures and still want to stone somebody else. Right? What if the person that you're judging is having a bad day? You ever had a bad day? What if the person that you're judging is having a, a bad week? You ever had a bad week? What about a bad month? You ever had a bad month? What about a bad year? You ever had a bad year? I've had a bad year. I've had some 18-month stretches in my life where I'm glad you weren't with me. I was praying just this week in the sanctuary. And as I was praying, I just began to, just, I just began to feel this sense of um, gratitude that I hadn't felt in a long time towards God. And I said to God, God, I don't deserve to have what I have. And I don't deserve to get to do what I get to do. Because you know things about me that nobody else knows. And if anybody deserved to be disqualified, God, it would be me. Thank you, God, for not disqualifying me. And I'm begging the Holy Spirit today to somehow ingrain in us and sear in us that we are not the judge. That they may be guilty. The facts may be totally right. And they are guilty. But I believe God wants us to put the rocks down. Yes, they lied to you. That doesn't make them a liar. It makes them somebody who lied to you. Right? People are not what they do. Yeah, they stole money, but that doesn't make them a thief. It just makes them somebody who did something that they weren't supposed to do, and they stole. Yes, they're addicted, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a future. Maybe they're on a 12-month binge of an addiction that they cannot kick, but instead of you writing them off, and instead of you saying, well, you know what, I've never been addicted... Because that's what we do. We, we judge sins and we say, well, I've never been addicted. But we're the most prideful, gossiping, slandering person ever. And we don't read the verses in Proverbs that says six, no seven things God detests, a lying tongue. We think like, oh, well, God does not that concerned with that. 
And we say, yeah, well, they're a failure. They're an addicted waste. Unless it's us. Because if it's us, we have a reason why we're struggling. Because of what our dad did to us or what we went through or the surgery we couldn't recover from where we got the pain pills and we never meant to get addicted, but we did. Now we want with everything inside of us to stop, but we just can't. We know our story and we know that God may give us a chance and will give us a chance and we're working on it and doing everything that we can. And then we find out that someone else is addicted and we go, and we may never say it out loud, but we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. See, people are not the things that they do. Inside of each person is some God potential. Inside of each person is this God opportunity, this future that they don't even know that they have, that most of the time we don't even know that they have, but it's in there. But it will never get a chance to come out as long as we don't put the rocks down. They're guilty. They did it. They shouldn't have done it. Your dad left your mom. Yes, somebody hurt you. Yes, they betrayed your trust. They are guilty. But you're still not the judge. You're guilty too. We're all guilty. Now I want to show you one more thing. What's the alternative, Jason? Like, so you're saying I don't get the judge. You're saying I got to put the rocks down. Okay. What's the alternative, Jason? Well, there's another passage of Scripture. So we saw the story of David, and we saw what happened with Jesus and the adulterous woman. There's another story, or not really a story, but some verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's kind of a son of his, kind of in a way. He's a, he's a, he's a pupil of his. Paul's mentoring him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, there's a statement that Paul makes to Timothy that I hope will catch on to us this morning. Here's what he says. He says, this is why, Paul talking to Timothy, this is why I remind you to fan into the flames, fan into flames, the spiritual gift that God gave you. So Paul says to Timothy, I just want to take a second, Timothy, to encourage you to develop, to fan that spark, to, fan, to, to get that flame going. That thing, that God potential, that God-sized opportunity, that God development that's in you. Paul says, I just want to encourage that in you, and I want that to become a flame. I want to see God do incredible things in your life. I want to see you be more than you ever believed that you could be. And so I'm thinking this week, as we're just we're thinking about this sermon, I'm, I'm, the angry mob, and they've got their rocks. And I said, God, I don't want to be somebody who's holding rocks. I don't want to be somebody who wants to judge and condemn and throw and attack on top of people, God. I want to be Paul. And what would happen, there's a match in your bag, if you want to grab that. What would happen if instead of us grabbing the rock every time somebody failed and every time somebody, every time somebody dropped the ball, what would happen if we decided instead of being the angry mob, what would happen if we decided to be the spark? What would happen if we decided that we were going to be the person who believed in, encouraged, supported, and maybe got the spark going that would turn into a flame of that God potential in somebody's life? You know, when you light a match, there's a certain point that friction starts the, the flame. And I'm even just, you know, in my own life, here recently, 
just examples of people who have come into my life who when I talk about my flaws and when I talk about the things that are wrong about me will stop me and say, no, but let me tell you what God can do in your life. Let me tell you what I see in you. Let me tell you the incredible gifts that are in you. Let me tell you what God wants to do. I can't wait to see what you, what you turn out to be when you're here or what happens when you get here. Deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a spark in Jason's life. I'm going to be a spark. And I don't know if, if my encouragement will turn that situation around, but I do believe that if we keep lighting enough sparks... That thing's going to turn into a flame. So what would happen? I mean, just, I mean, this is craziness, and it's so counterintuitive, but let me just throw that. What would happen if the next time you wanted to judge, you encouraged? What would happen if the next time you found somebody who was in a dark place, in a dark season, who was guilty, instead of trying to stomp on them, you tried to encourage the God potential in them. What would happen if there was a culture of encouragement in your life, in your circles, in your friends, in your home? But you decided, you know what, I'm going to put the rocks down. I'm not going to be the angry mob. I'm going to be Paul. And yeah, that dude just lied to me. But you know what? God has great plans for your life. And I know you're not where you want to be right now, but listen, don't give up. God's, God's going to do something incredible. And you're like, I know you're addicted right now. I know you stole from me, right? And I know probably if you could do it over again, you'd choose not to. And I know you feel bad you got caught or whatever it is. But let me tell you something. This is not who you are. And this is not God's best for you. And I can't wait to see what God does in your life. I can't wait to see how God uses this failure to do something incredible in your life and the people around you. What would happen if you and I decided to be the spark? To put the rock down. And to pick up the match and say, you know what? I am going to light some flames in people's lives around me. Maybe, quite possibly, the reason that we're not getting the results that we want from people is because we keep throwing rocks at their head. What would happen to the relationship with that ex-spouse if you decided, you know what? I'm just going to be an encourager. What would happen to that relationship with those kids, that boss, that person you work with? That friend that you're not talking to anymore. That person who left the church and now you don't have a relationship anymore. What would happen if you said, you know what, I'm going to put the rocks down. Because I'm tired of being a hypocrite. Because the truth is, I deserve death. I deserve punishment. I deserve judgment. But God, for whatever reason, showed me grace. Somebody spoke into my life. Somebody encouraged me. Somebody gave me a chance. You know what, I'm going to put the rocks down. And I'm going to decide to just keep being a spark. Keep being a spark in somebody's life. Keep lighting a match. Keep encouraging. Keep believing. Keep calling out God's potential. Keep calling out God's opportunities. Keep calling out God's giftings. Keep calling out... The, I'm going to put the rocks down. And I'm going to be an encourager. What would happen if today we made a decision, you know what, I'm done putting my standards on other people? What would happen today if we said, you know what, I'm going to give as much grace to others as I give to myself? What would happen if we encouraged and brought out the God potential instead of labeling people as failures? Let's pray. God, there is something so ingrained in us to judge. There's something so ingrained in us, God, to to, to pick up rocks and to want to throw 
and to want to punish and to want to stone, condemn. But God, what, what would happen in the lives of the people around us if we decided we're going to leave the angry mob and we're going to encourage the God potential in people? God, what would happen if enough people in this room decided we were going to be sparks? What kind of flame could burn? What, what, what kind of church could this be if we decided, you know what, this is not a place where you come and are judged. This is a place where you come and are encouraged to be all that God has called you to be. God, I pray for those of us who grew up and have adopted this religious mindset. Somehow it's our responsibility to identify who the phonies are. God, we're the phonies. We're all broken, so will you help us to put the rocks down, God? Pick up a match. And to find a way to encourage and call out God potential in people who are having a tough time, who are failing. God, could we be the spark for change in that life? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, I, I'm, I'm, I am that person who is in an er a terrible place. I, I am that person who's in a dark place and I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, and I can't even totally explain it this morning, Jason, but like as you've been talking, like, I just feel like it's time for me to give my life to Christ. I don't even know all that means even, but I just know I feel something in my heart and I just feel like today is the day that I'm supposed to commit my life to Christ. Start a new chapter. Become a new person. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed. We're not going to embarrass you. Make you stand up. Make you come down front. But if you are here and you would say, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, that, that's me. I, I, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm, ready, I'm, I'm tired of living for me. I'm tired of doing my thing ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. Start a, start a new life today. Just a few more seconds. Anybody say, man, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. God, I thank you that we're a work in progress. God, I thank you that you didn't give up on me. Thank you that you didn't give up on us when we deserve to be disqualified. Will you help us to go and show that grace to everybody else around us the way it's been shown to us. In Jesus' name we pray.